So as we get started today, I have a question for you, and this is just a question you can answer uh, to yourself or maybe out loud. Um, how would you describe the way that you live or how would you describe your life today? And I asked some people to, with just one word, describe their life, and I got things like busy, tired, it's fast, it's blessed, my life is pursuing, my life is constantly changing, it's it's inspecting, it's respecting, it's it's internal, it's all these different things. And if you're anything like me, you have a, you have an idea of what you want your life to eventually be. Maybe for you it's peaceful, maybe it's successful, but you probably have a, a word that you can use to talk about your life that you really care about that matters a whole bunch to you. Um, and now I know this changes on a given day. Some days look busier than others. Other days look more successful than others. Other days seem to be um, more frustrating than others. So that's how we describe our life, but we're going to find out today that as Jesus followers, um, we should probably have a specific word to describe our life, a different word to describe our lives. Really, to be honest, a different word to describe how we're living. We're in a series right now titled Living Your Best Life, where we're discovering what it actually means to live our best life in the culture, in the world, in the environment that we're in today, because it's so difficult to do that. And a lot of times, living your best life comes across as it only happens on vacation. It's only possible on vacation, or it's only possible when you're not really living your life, when you're doing something different. And the truth is, I want to argue that it's possible to live your life and live your best life today with everything that you can be. So what does it take to live our best life, both in our job and our family dynamic, all of it? So today we are going to continue our study in Daniel where we learn from him and his friends how to live the best life in a culture or a world that's totally different than the one that you and I would prefer. And the culture in a world is different than the one that they grew up with and the one that they preferred. Now, let's catch up. So we started last week in Daniel chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, <coughs> Daniel interprets a, a dream for the king. As he interprets a dream for the king, him and his friends, they become elevated because they're so wise, they're so smart, they pay attention to everything. So they get elevated in the courts. Well, of course, this causes a problem because all the Babylonians are frustrated that these Israelites, these Hebrews are being elevated in the courts. So we got a problem. We've got to take care of it. So they look for an opportunity. And to be honest, they, they find one here in a second to go after Daniel and his friends. So to start today, we're doing Daniel chapter 3. Turn to verse 1 with me as we begin. So King Nebuchadnezzar, same king, same guy that, you know, took the Fab Four Daniel, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego took all of those guys. Um, he's, he's got all of them. Same king. He made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, he puts together his own image of gold, an idol, and he required people to worship it because that's just what he expected. That's what he did. I mean, that was, that was to be honest, that wasn't totally uncommon in those days. Like a king or a, uh, you know, a high official could do that and basically elevate themselves to the place of almost a god. It's one of the ways that these dictators 
would uh, assimilate and hold powers. They would place themselves on the level of deity. It wasn't anything crazy and um, wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But as we know, because we've read the Bible before, uh, the Israelites and the Hebrews, were, they're commanded not to do that. In fact, they're not allowed to do that. They are specifically restricted, and they're called to worship no other god and certainly aren't allowed to worship an idol, more or less an idol of a human. Come on. Creation doesn't worship creation. Creation worships the creator. That's how it's supposed to function. And that's how it was described in the, uh, in the law. So immediately we got a conflict of interest. The king and the Babylonians want the Hebrews to worship this big gold image, and right then they're like, we aren't allowed to do that. And the people in government, again, really didn't like the Fab Four. They didn't like, you know, the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in particular at this point. And they wanted to remove them from power because, hey, we shouldn't have these guys in this talking about Babylonian policy or really serving in any capacity like this. So let's just simply get out of it. Let's just simply remove them. So some court officials came together and they, uh, they talked to the king. They said, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and pipe, and all other kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. That doesn't seem reasonable, but this was the ancient world, so this is what they did. Now listen, because what happens next leads us to really understand why they want to do this. They want to remove these guys from power. They want to remove the Fab Four. They say, but there are some Jews whom you have set over affairs in your province. So hold on, King, there's some Jews that you set. You gave your authority, your power, your ability to do things. They're in your kingdom. They are not following your decrees. And just in case you don't know who they are, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, which, I mean, they're insulting the king by doing that. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Um, your majesty, I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, but these guys that you elevated, that you gave position of authority, they don't appreciate it. They don't care about it. In fact, they're not interested in whatever you got going on. They don't worship you. They don't worship your gods. In fact, they probably don't even respect you. I mean, look, they don't follow your decrees at all. Come on, King, Your Majesty, you've got to do something about it. But let's be honest. They're not interested in who these guys are worshiping. Ladies and gentlemen, this is politics. They want him removed. They want these three removed. They want them gone. And that's why you should never trust a politician. But anyway, Daniel, the, the story continues furious with rage because Nebuchadnezzar's been disrespected. It was the worst thing that could happen to a king or a ruler was to be disrespected, not only by your subjects, but by somebody in your courts because that would mean that they might assassinate you or they might support a rebellion if it came up. So respect, trust, and everything else was so important. Loyalty was so important in this, which is another reason why you should be careful when a boss demands your unwavering loyalty to him. <coughs> but that is a uh, conversation for a different day. 
In Furious's rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and the king Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now again, this kind of leans into what we learned last week. Right at this moment, boom, they have a decision to make. Are they going to follow, follow culture, or are they going to do what they know is right and follow who God called them to be? Now the king continues, he's not done. He says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. Hey, it's fine. You guys made a mistake. We'll say you didn't hear it. We'll say you weren't paying attention. We'll say that you had a change of heart. I don't want to do this. I don't want to throw you guys in the fire. You're great officials. You take care of everything I need you to take care of. I feel like you're pretty loyal to me, but now I'm asking questions. But hey, if this is just a mistake, no harm, no foul. Let's just go ahead and get it done. We'll, we'll just play the music again, and then you bow down and worship. I will clean your slate. We are not going to have a problem. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Okay, come on, guys. You know you made a mistake. And let's be very clear. I'm the position of authority here. He's reminding them of that. I'm the position of authority. And if I throw you into the fire, there's nothing that's going to save you. There's no one that's going to save you. In fact, what God would be able to step down and rescue you from my hand? hand. Come on, guys. You don't want to die on this hill. This is not worth it. Okay. Just bow down, worship, make all the other officials uh, feel comfortable with it so they don't have anything to accuse you with, and then we'll get back to running this successful kingdom. There is no reason to do this. King's, king's giving them an out. It's right there. But they resolve to do something different. Listen to the way they speak. Listen to how convinced they are of what they just say or what they're about to say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner, which was a big no-no because they definitely did. The king drawed them in, talked to them, which means they need to shut up and defend themselves. But they say, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able, not a demand that he will, not a command that he will, not a, that he absolutely will, just says he is able to deliver us from it. So you just asked us, King, who can save us? Our God can save us. He's done things like that before. So our God can save us, and he will deliver us from our majesty's hand. He's able to, and he will if he so chooses. So if you're asking the question, who can save you? It's our God, Yahweh. He'll save you. But even if he does not, which is such a, we can't even grasp that today in Western culture. It's this idea that God is so sovereign that we acknowledge his decision to get involved or to not get involved because we understand that he figures all of it out, that he sees the entire picture, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. But remember, we're talking about living our best life. So I'm not sure how this is about to be living their best life, but here we go. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. 
Meaning, you know what, King? We're pretty confident in the hill we're going to die on right here. We understand what doing and what saying these things are going to cost us. And we know that God can deliver us at any point. We know He has the capability. We know that, since you asked, you know, who's going to deliver us, we know that Yahweh can come in at any moment and smite you and grab us. Like It's not going to be a conversation. It's not a conversation of who can do it. We already know who can do it. We're not sure if He will because, you know, He sees things differently than us. But we want you to know, King, that no matter what happens, we're not going to worship you and we're not going to worship your gods because they're not real. We worship the living God. Now, imagine the way that they trust God. I mean, I mean, hear, hear what they say. They, they have such trust and confidence that they say, even if God doesn't deliver, meaning they're not setting it in stone, they're not demanding it, they're not requiring it, they're not getting in their prayer room, demanding God does something, which is always a struggle for me when I hear people pray that way, that you're demanding God do something. How's a God of the universe going to listen to your demands? Anyway, they, they, uh, but thank God for His grace that he, he lets us speak to Him that way. But, you know, here we are, these guys, they sit back and they go, look, even if, even if, even if He doesn't deliver us, we want you to know we are not worshiping. We're not going to violate who we are. We're not going to change who we are. We are going to do this. Imagine the boldness. Because that's what living your best life looks like. Looks like. It's living a life of boldness. It's being bold, not sitting back and being fearful and bowing out to the things around you. It's, it's being bold. Because boldness means this, willing to take risks and act innovatively with confidence or courage. Or courage. They would not, okay, these guys would not be bullied off their convictions. They couldn't be threatened or they wouldn't run when fear hits them in the face because boldness is when you get when fear hits you square in the face, but then you stand up anyway. That's what being bold is all about with confidence or courage. Now, how many of us live a life of boldness like that? How many of us try to wire in being bold into who we are? I mean, most of us just, you know, and this is not hit on you, I do it too, where we just kind of get comfortable with what we know and what we do, and we're just going to leave it. At that, I mean, how many of us truly live with this type of boldness? Now, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. So before he was, it's okay, guys. You made a mistake. We can fix this. Not a problem. Just bow down and worship. We're good. His attitude immediately changed. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Now this furnace was more than likely a dome shape that was directly on the ground, and it was a furnace he would use to melt all the metals, probably the exact same furnace or one of the furnaces he used to melt all the gold to set up this big, huge, massive image. So we got, you know, we know this is what's what's happening and what's going on. So we got a we got a problem here. They ordered it, they heated it seven times hotter. So these men 
wearing their robes, trousers, and turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, thrown into the blazing furnace, they, they probably weren't up high. It was a probably walk-in style of furnace where they would go up and just kind of push them in and try to close the door. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire, meaning they didn't even let the fire, the, the flames die down to put them in there. So they were just so like, hey, we got to kill these guys right now. That the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. They were going to kill them. The king was not interested in it. He said, okay, you guys want to die on this hill? This is where you're going to die. You want to make this argument? Fine. This is where you're going to die. But remember, who can save you? Nobody can save you. I'm glad you decided to live your life so boldly, guys, but um, that's the end of the conversation. Then, the king leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They reply, you know, and then all the officials, so he looked around, talked to his advisors, and the officials say, certainly, your majesty, we just watched them. We just watched them throw them into the fire. Why are you asking such a question? And then he said, look, I see four men walking around the fire. Well, hold on a second. There were three going in there. We see four men walking around the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. What is going on? Come on, guys, this doesn't make any sense. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a head or a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. And now many theologians believe that that fourth character, that fourth person was Jesus standing there with them in the fire, protecting them from this because of the way they lived their life of boldness. They were bold for the Lord and they put him first. Now imagine this moment. Imagine how the king felt. Imagine how the governors and the prefects felt. Imagine being the king who goes, who can save you? And then they come walking out of the fire and you're like, uh, I'm not sure who saved you, but can you, can just, let me ask that question again. Who saved you? Right? I mean, imagine the moment that's happening here. Then Nebuchadnezzar, once he realized kind of what happened, he says, praise be to the God, big God, not little God. Earlier in the chapter, it was the small, disrespectful form of God. When he said, what God can save you? It's a small word, small, disrespectful form of the word. Now, God, capital letters, this is Elohim. This is the big G God. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any God, little g, except their own God, big G. 
Therefore, I decree that people of any nation, language, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble so that for no other God can save this way. Again, he's a king. He's dramatic. He, he loves the drama and letting people know how powerful he is. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer it right now, but maybe you need to contemplate it. Do you live boldly? Do you live with boldness in your life? I mean, are you willing to stand for your convictions this way? Uh, or do you just consistently play it safe? Because the safe answer for these guys is to roll up and go, nah, what is it worth fighting about? Yeah, sure, we worship your image and stuff. We're going to go back and do what we're going to do. And to be honest, many of us would have done the same thing. Many of us, probably most of us, would have walked in, the king would have said, bow down and worship my image and everything else. And we would have been like, okay, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to be killed for this. And most of us don't like it because playing it safe is simple. It's easy. But living boldly Living out your faith boldly, that is different. That's scary. That's because of, it's scary because of all the what-if scenarios, right? I mean, we always think about it, you know, we ask questions like, I mean, if, what if it doesn't work out the way I thought it was going to be? What if I say that thing, right, and they don't respond the way that I expected them to respond? What if I feel like I should tell them about God, and I, I offer, begin, I, I begin to tell people about God, and they laugh at me. Or they look and say, how could you be so stupid to believe something like that? Or they flex their, flex their knowledge and make me feel less than. What if I tell them about God and they don't know an answer? Or I, they ask me a question and I don't know the answer. What if I become boldly generous and God doesn't come through on the other end? What if I boldly go and step into what I believe He's calling me this chapter of life and He doesn't answer the call? We back ourselves into these corners all the time. But listen to what they said. They said, even if he doesn't, we are not going to shift on our convictions. Even if he doesn't, we were living our life this way, and this is the decision that we have made. We know he's able, but we don't demand him to do it. We understand that he can do it. And every time God has done something in the world, it's been with somebody who acted boldly. It's just the truth of it. I mean, Abraham acted boldly, moved. God said, move. He could have played it safe. He could have not have been bold. He could have been cowardly. He, he didn't. He decided to pick up and move to an entirely new place because God commanded him to. God said, hey, move. It's still his choice. David, the same thing. I mean, come on. Goliath? David had no business going and fighting Goliath. David had, had no business doing that. And I mean, come on, to act boldly the way he did and not kill King Saul when he should have, when it would have been easy, it would have been the obvious choice to do according to the culture and the time of the day. David said, no, 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 I'm going to act boldly and live my life according to God. I'm going to live boldly in everything that I say and that I do. John the Baptist, come on, he comes up and begins declaring that the Christ is coming, and he's doing it in front of the Pharisees. And then he has the cojones to look at the, the 
uh, the religious leaders and say, hey, you brood of vipers because of the way that you manage the law and the way that you're leveraging your religious positions. I mean, look at Peter. Peter lived so boldly that Jesus had to like pull him back a little bit. And then look at Paul. He was willing to go around and challenge the Greek world and their worldview and their view on religion. Paul was not afraid to go around and proclaim the gospel and, and, and change each one of these cities, each one of these cities. Because let's, let's just be honest. To live your best life, if you're interested in living your best life, you've got to live with boldness. You've got to live with boldness. Don't live with the what-if scenarios. Don't fear yourself. That doesn't mean make dumb decisions. Think things through, absolutely. Use your logic, absolutely. But if it's simply fear driving you, if it's simply something trying to pull you off of it, have the confidence and courage to be just like these guys and say, no, 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 this is what we are going to do. Because listen to me, you have no idea what God will do with your boldness. Because right in this moment, he changed Babylon. I mean, the king then issued a decree that God could be worshipped and people couldn't go against him because of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fact that they were able to, the, the fact that they stood up and they decided to live their life boldly. Now, what do you think God could do with you? What do you think God could do with me? What do you think God could do with our, our church, our, our city? If a couple of us, or maybe our families, if we just decided to, hey, I'm going to live my life boldly for Him. He's calling me in a direction. He's leading me in a direction. He's pulling me in a direction. I'm going to live boldly. Maybe He changes a country. Maybe He changes a company. Maybe He takes the way that you're boldly living out your faith in your workspace. And again, you're doing it in a, a respectful, honorable manner. But he takes that, that boldness, that not shying away from it. He takes that and he changes a company. Maybe he changes your family. But it kills me to watch, and this is, so, this is just, it's, it's hard because I understand this situation, but it kills me to watch people who claim God's provision and claim that they believe God according to Romans 8, 28, where, he said, where Paul says that he works all things out for those for the good of those who love Him. I mean, that's in the New Testament, and we read it, right? And Paul's writing this to the church in Rome that's being persecuted. And Paul writes this and reads this. And he says, it's okay. You can live boldly because God's going to, He's going to help. He's going to work all things out. Doesn't mean everything's going to be good. Doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. He just says He's going to work it all out. And the same people that claim that verse and want that verse are so afraid to step out of their comfort zone. They're so afraid to be bold for their Heavenly Father. They're so afraid to be bold for God. They're so afraid to be bold for anything because that means they got to come out of their comfort space. So I guess the question is, why not live out your faith boldly? Why not? Why not try it? Why not see what God will do through your boldness? Why not see what God will do through your actions, what God will do through you? What if you actually lead boldly and lead your family in worship? What, what, what do you think God would do with that? Maybe you lead like Jesus in your business. I mean, that's bold. 
That's culture breaking. That's shocking. Or maybe in your school or on your sports team. What if you began to lead like Jesus in those places and live a life boldly? What if you decide to serve someone else, even if, and this is the big one, even if you don't like them that well? What if you decided to give a percentage of your income away? You just decide, hey, we're going to start tithing or we're going to start giving to the church or we're going to start doing these things. Like we're going to live a life of boldness. We're going to begin to live our faith out in our lives and not just play it safe. We're going to do it boldly. I mean, what would happen if just our little church began to live boldly, if everybody that you know watches these online and, and is in our church on Sundays began to live our faith out, what if we began to live boldly in our faith out into the world? Imagine what God could do with those kinds of people. Imagine what God could do with a group of people that loved God and loved people and made a difference and did so unashamedly didn't fear what culture would do to them, didn't fear what the world would say about them, didn't fear about what people in their businesses said, or didn't fear what people would think when they quote Jesus in the leadership lesson that they're given at their company. I mean, what would happen? What would God do with a group of people like that? I think it can change the world. I think it already has. And I think we can do it again. So, if you want to live, if you want to be living your best life, you've got to live boldly, not fearfully, not small, not backed into a corner, not afraid to move, not bullied by culture to, to not follow or worship God or live boldly, but live boldly. That is how we begin to live our best life. So let's pray.